Father, we love you this morning. And God, we just choose to say, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God, the Lord strong and mighty in battle, the Lord who is gracious and good and faithful. We say, oh, praise the name of the Lord our God. We love you. God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this time in worship, and we pray that as we continue on, as we hear your words spoken, God, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would speak through Brother Steve this morning. God, that you would just do what you need to do in us. Change us. Tweak us. Do whatever you need to do in us, Lord. We just give ourselves to you. We surrender to you this morning. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning, church. Welcome to the first Sunday of the new year. I hope you had a uh, good time of celebrations, <clears throat> and uh, I hope you're looking forward to what the new year happens to bring. Anybody make any resolutions? You don't have to tell me what they were. You know, that's kind of one of the popular things to do is to make New Year's resolutions. Of course, we know how long those last. <clears throat> Not long at all. Just a few weeks, maybe even days. But it is kind of interesting. Um, I wasted a few minutes on Google the other day to, uh, y'all never do that, do you? Waste time on Google. Um, going through and just saying, you know, you Google up, what are some of the popular resolutions? So here's some of the things I found. It's helpful to kind of lump them into categories. In the category of health, drink enough water. You know, I thought about that. I've heard people talking about that more and more, how important it is to stay hydrated. Um, be consistent with meal times. You know, I guess that's a, an issue a lot of folks have. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, it's kind of lumped into three things together. Perfect a, a new recipe or cook something new each week or eat veggies regularly. Well, I've got that one nailed. Next week, I'm going to learn how to, to, uh, to, uh, to uh, fry up zucchini. And then the next week, I'll learn how to fry up squash. And then the next week, fry up avocados. I mean, I can take veggies and frying a long way and get me. So I have had a little problem with one of those, though. I thought about how do you fry English peas? You know, each one of those little guys to dip them in the batter, it's kind of a tough thing here. Um, floss every day. Any dentists in the room that would agree with that? Kind of dumb. Um, this one, I, I almost, I debated a little bit whether or not to do this one, say this one, but hey, we're all friends. Deep clean your keyboard. Uh, have you ever taken your keyboard and just kind of shaken it a little bit on all the garbage that falls out of it? It's crazy stuff. But then this is the really bad one. Sanitize your phone weekly. What in the world does that mean? Dr. Charles Gerba, PhD microbiologist and professor at the University of Arizona, has found that phones, in fact, let's just do a little object lesson here. Phones, everybody hold up a phone. Everybody hold it, come on, work with me. Hold your phone up, everybody hold it up. That phone in your hand could carry about 10 times as much bacteria as most toilet seats. Whoa, mm. And uh, I told you it was gonna get a little rough here. Uh, British researchers have even found that one in six devices are contaminated with E. coli. And of course, they have to add the phrase, ugh, that's terrible. Well, enough of health. How about self-improvement, well-being? One of the interesting things that came up on the Google lists is uh, to volunteer more often. 
That's kind of a neat thing to think about. Volunteer, it helps your well-being, it helps your self-improvement. Adopt an attitude of gratitude. Yeah, that's a nice one. How about this one? And I, I dare say that there's not many people in the room who have done this one, but something to think about is a resolution. Send handwritten letters. That's pretty cool. But this is 2020. There's an app out that will actually handwrite your letters for you. you know, it's, I don't get that one. Uh, spend five minutes a day cleaning. Well, let's see. That's going to be about another seven years if I do it a, a, little, a little bit of a day. It's that much dirt. I'm just kidding. Uh, hey, how about this one? Take a 24-hour break from social media every month. Think you can do that? Yeah, I think you should do that. I think so. Clean out your closet. Anybody done any closet cleaning? Anybody lately? One of the, one of the commentaries, and by the way, every one of these um, resolutions has, you know, the, the guy who put it in there, a little comment under it, and he says, seriously, how much clothing do you have hanging up in your closet that you have never worn? That's a real good point. Do a little act of kindness weekly. Uh, practice the do it now rule. And of course, I had to say to myself when I read that one, I'll, I'll take that one on as soon as I can get around to it. It's kind of a, work with me on this one. Uh, put your phone away an hour before bed. I've heard more and more about that, how the media just infuses our brains and we can't shut our brains off. Well, that's enough of the, the self-improvement. One last one in the category of culture. Turn on music instead of the TV. Now, it might depend on what kind of music you listen to that might be more disruptive than TV. Go skydiving. I'm out. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am not going to do that. I rank skydiving up there with scuba diving because I'm not going to do it. Learn a new language. Now, that's interesting. Stretch your brain a little bit. Learn a new language. Might be something nice. And then kind of in the general category of books, Read at least one book a month, read more books, listen to audio books. When you work out, work out. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious, work out. Well, that's enough of that foolishness. So, but seriously, when you think about resolutions, what, what are resolutions? What, I mean, it's general idea. They're plans, aren't they? You know, you're saying, I plan to do, fill in the blank, whatever it is, through the new year. And I almost want us to understand to start with that there's nothing wrong with making plans. Plans are normal, plans are part of what our life is. However, that is what we're talking about today, is what kind of plans do we make and how should we think about planning? Now, this is not the sermon. This is not even an introduction to the sermon, but it's a little nugget that you can take with you when you talk about planning. And that's what James had to say. You know the verse. You'll understand it and you'll remember it uh, when, uh, when I read it to you. It says, James says to, his, uh, to the people he's writing to, now listen, you who say, well, today or tomorrow, we'll go to this or that city, we'll spend a year there, we'll carry on business, and we'll make money. You don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, and here's your template for making plans, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or do that. As it is, you boast and brag, and all such bragging and boasting is evil. Anyone then who wants to know the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, he commits a sin. No, my point in that, just simply as a little nugget is, there's not a thing wrong with the planning that says, go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Not a thing wrong with that. 
but it's the leaving the Lord out of it. That's the point that James is trying to make. So my, my point on this first little thing to get us started thinking about planning is the best planning is to do it God's way, okay? Now, that takes us to our text for the day, and I'm going to read a rather lengthy text to get us started. You can search it for it in your Bibles if you have it there handy. And it's a text that one of the verses in it is extremely well known. I mean, I dare say everyone of, of any age in this room, save the little bitty kids and everything, knows this verse. You've heard it. You've used it maybe. And it's in the book of Jeremiah. So we're going to read from Jeremiah chapter 29, verses 4 through 14. And you'll see the one I'm talking about in just a few moments. So here is what Jeremiah wrote. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams uh, you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. And now the drum roll. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. You will call, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. And uh, my apologies to the guys in the booth. I told them I was going to be reading from the Living Translation, and I looked at my NIV. But the wording is very similar, just a few little changes here and there. So here's the background that we need to understand. We're going to focus on Jeremiah 29, 11, 12, 13, 14 in just a minute. But it's very, very helpful. It's always helpful, in fact, to understand the background from which a particular verse is focused so that you can get the bigger context of it. So what's the background? Well, the nation of Judah had been carried into captivity in Babylon. And Jeremiah was one of the remnant that was left behind. There were actually several phases of these <clears throat> being, captive, uh, being taken into captivity. So Jeremiah was remaining, was one of the remainers, uh, ones who remained behind in Jerusalem. And the first verses, the, the, the verses that start chapter 29, tell us that he puts together a letter to send to those in exile. It says that he sent it to um, the surviving elders, to the priests, to the prophets, and all the other people that Nebuchadnezzar had taken into captivity. So here's this letter. It goes on to tell us who he gave the letter to. He consigned it to a couple of people to take it to, uh, to Babylon from uh, Jerusalem. Not a short distance, by the way. Uh, quite a lengthy trek to get this letter there. And then the letter starts with where we began in, in verse number four. And the interesting thing about this is Imagine that you 
are one of the recipients. You're, you're in that group. Maybe some of you in this room would be considered among the elders. We have elders, they're leaders. And Bruce was standing up here just a moment ago. So imagine that Bruce and that group of elders, of which we have others, they hear that, that Jeremiah is sending this letter. And they're anxiously waiting for, the, for, the, for this letter to arrive. What is Jeremiah going to say to us? This is awesome. They recognized Jeremiah as the prophet, one who spoke for God. So the elders are eagerly anticipating. We don't have necessarily the priests and the prophets unless you want to consider, for instance, uh, our staff to be in in this leadership tier that are not elders. And and they know that this letter is coming. Great, great anticipation. And of course, you can consider yourself in this whole mix because you're all the others that have been carried into captivity. So you get word that this, this letter is coming and Jeremiah has spoken for God. He has spoken from God. He's given these messages. Now, where are you, by the way? You're in captivity. You're weeks away, a journey of weeks away from Jerusalem. You've seen people killed during this siege of Jerusalem. And you've been forcibly carried away. And now you're getting a word from God. Eager anticipation. So what's he going to say? Well, he says, first of all, build your house. Hmm, build you a house. Why would he say that? How many of you have ever lived out of a suitcase? Not much fun, is it? And why are you living out of a suitcase? You may be on a business trip. You may be on a vacation. I'll admit, when I used to travel for business, I rarely took my clothes out of the suitcase and put them in the chest of drawers. I would hang up the shirts and things. But no, I was just there temporarily. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going to leave in a few days. I'm not unpacking that suitcase. There's a sense of, this is temporary. This is not going to last very long. But the first thing Jeremiah says is, you need to build you a house. And you need to settle down. Settle down? Build a house? But I, I thought this wasn't going to last very long. Well, let's, let's, let me hear what else Jeremiah has to say. And he says, plant a garden and eat the produce. <sighs> I've never been a garden planter. My parents were, uh, just like many of that generation were, little gardens out in your backyard and everything. How long does it take a garden to go from planting to eating? Well, how much time passes? A couple of days? No, a couple of weeks? No, if you're here in Texas, <laughs> a long time. It's months, isn't it? And so we're going from unpack your suitcases, build you a house, settle down. Oh, and by the way, plant you a garden. And now I get the sense that they're beginning to think this is not going to be quite so temporary as we thought. Well, it goes on some more, doesn't it? Marry and have sons and daughters. Oh, boy. Mary, have sons and daughters. Um, I think I have heard it said, maybe I'm making this up. You know, that's how you know an expert, by the way. They say, I have heard it said, you know, somebody that that hears uh, a truism. Generally speaking, in the Jewish world of that day, uh, a betrothal was about a year. So let's just assume that that's the case. Jeremiah is saying, marry and have sons and daughters. So we're talking a minimum of a year for the betrothal 
and then the wedding ceremony. And then if conception happens on that first night, you're looking at nine months more. So we're talking a minimum of 21 months, almost two years. So we've gone from very simply unpack your bags and settle down to planting gardens, which takes several months, to now we're taking to the year spectrum, and then it gets worse, in quotes. Because he goes on to say, find wives for your sons and daughters in marriage. Oh, my goodness. We've gone from 21 months, 22 months, 24 months, to now what? What, time, what, what age would those young men and women get married generally? 15, 16, 17, 18 years of age? So we've gone from two years to 18 years, but then so that they too can have sons and daughters. In other words, we're to the grandchildren stage, talking to those people, talking to you and me that were sitting there listening to this letter. You're all of a sudden understanding Jeremiah saying, you're going to be here and see your grandchildren. 36 years, 40 years, 50 years. Now, we, we fast forwarded. We know how the story ends because God told him it was going, Jeremiah told him through God's word that it was going to be 70 years. But that's not the point. The point is, is you're hearing God saying, this is going to be a long, long time. And you need to be prepared for it. Now, if I were one of those people listening to this, I don't know where I would be on the encouragement, discouragement stage. But I guarantee you one thing, when I got to verse 7, I would tap the brakes and say, God, you've gone too far now. Because he says, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for that city. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So let's put that in modern day language. We have been taken in captivity to Babylon. Where is Babylon today? Let's just say Baghdad. Half of this congregation is taken in captivity to Baghdad today. And God is saying, you pray for the peace and prosperity of Baghdad. You pray for the peace and prosperity of Tehran. Because you're going to be there a long time. You pray for the peace and prosperity of Pyongyang in North Korea. I don't want to do that. I don't want to pay the, pray for the peace and prosperity of these people that have taken me into captivity. God, you're asking too much of me. I cannot pray for my enemies. But I know the New Testament. And what did Jesus say? Pray for your enemies. Pray for those who spitefully use you, who, who harm you. Pray for those people. So we're getting the New Testament right here from Jeremiah. You see, that kind of, that kind of relationship with God is clear and it's tough, but it is his way. And then he states, I think we can't let this one pass. We're just going to say something real quickly about it. He also has a negative statement. All these others were positive. Build, plant, multiply, grow, pray for the prosperity. He says, by the way, don't listen to the prophets and fortune tellers. I like what one of the translations says about the fortune tellers uh, because that is... That's an interesting way to say it. Pray, do, uh, do not listen to those people. Don't listen to the dreams that you yourselves are encouraging them to have. You listen to me. And I can't put names to this, but I will tell you with all certainty that there are prophets and fortune tellers out in this world today who are saying, 
Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to what I have to say. Listen to this message. And the Word of God says, you don't listen to them. Now here's a little homework for you. You want to find out how God thinks about them? Start with verse 15 and read following from there. Don't do it now. You've got to listen to me. But start with verse 15 and read what he says. It's not a pretty picture of how he thinks about the fortune tellers and the false prophets. Well, that's the introduction. So now, let me just share with you very quickly in the time we have remaining, three things to grab onto, three little hooks, three little, little uh, cubby holes that you can hang on to for t- thinking about God and planning and the future. And the first one comes from the first part of verse 11. Let's read it again. Just the first few, three or four words. Jeremiah 29, 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Stop right there. God has a plan. Think about it. God has a plan. And the way we put it on the screen was on purpose. Bold and in caps. God has a plan. If you have ever gotten to the point, and I say you meaning me too, of thinking, well, God didn't know what he's up to. God, God you know, this, he, said, he said oops on this one. He said, I didn't see that happening. I didn't see that coming. I've totally missed an understanding of what God is all about. God does not, is not ever taken by surprise by anything. God doesn't make up a plan on the fly, as we say. He's not just kind of winging it. God has a plan. Now, I think that's important for us to say and to reemphasize and to re, um, get it out into the, into the open is that a lot of people don't believe this either by their cognitive abilities or their actual life actions. Uh, We may believe it cognitively, but the way we act doesn't really show that we actually believe that God um, has a plan. There are some people who believe in an absentee God, and that is a a sense that God came, God set up the world, God set it in motion, kind of like winding up a clock or something, and then he, he went away, and he's gone, and he just left us here to kind of work things out the best way that, that we could. That is how some people understand God and how they think about him. There are those who think that, yeah, God is, is present, but he really doesn't care about my life. You know, he, he really doesn't love me, or he wouldn't have let this happen. Um, I, I dare say that those folks over at the uh, West Freeway Church of Christ had a few thoughts at that point where if God had loved me, he would have stopped that guy before he came in, you know, that, uh, that door. Um, that's not true. God does love. God, God does care. We always have to remember that God does have a plan. There's a little commentary that I uh, referred to when I was looking through some of my notes, trying to get some points, and I like the way this particular gentleman said it. He said, judgment never was and never is God's last word. God's ultimate plans were, and then verse 11, for good, not for disaster, for good. We must hang on to that idea that God does have a plan. He is in control. And then we move on to that, which takes me to my second very short point, uh, point, and that is that God's plan is good. And again, the text on the screen emphasizes and bows the word good. God's plan is good. 
Now, as he says it in the latter part of verse 11, these plans are to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Let's stop there for just a second. Let's do a little mental exercise. Um, a lot of the, the verbiage and a lot of the talking heads during this New Year's celebration post and, and during and then afterwards had to do with us rolling over into a new decade, 2020. I actually like saying that better than I did 2019. It just rolls off the tongue easier. But let's think back to the past decade, 2010 to 2019, okay? Just kind of let your mind run in reverse. What has happened to you in your life in the last 10 years? 2010, 2019. Just think about it. Just kind of put yourself in, in reverse. Where were you, by the way? Where were you living in 2010? What was your job like? What, were your, what was your family like? What was going on? Okay, now let's reverse it back a little further to another kind of a, a handy um, place to anchor, and that was 2000. Remember Y2K? Remember the panic that was setting in with that? I mean, I think the world did continue, didn't it? Yeah, we had a lot of verbiage about that. It was going to end. But my point is, let's think those 20 years from now back to 2000. Does that seem like a long time ago to you folks? It does to me. It really does to me. What's happened in your life in those last 20 years? You know, where were you? What were you doing? What was happening in your life? Take it back even a little bit further than that. Now, now it gets into what I call, I've heard others say it, and I like to use the phrase too, the dim, misty years of the past. You get into the 19s now, and I'm sorry, that's so far back. It's like little, uh, little spotlight points of, of, of this little point in time and that little point in time. It's kind of like our timeline going in reverse is real dark and bold, and then all of a sudden it's fading out a little bit and fading a little bit more. And then it gets into the 1990s, 1980s, 1970s, 19, you know, further and further and further. But it's a good exercise to think about. So here's my point on all this. You pick any one of those slots of time. Was everything in that slot of time good? If it was, we need to talk. Because I don't see how in the world it could have been. I just don't see. Life is that way. Life brings good, life brings bad. Life brings joy, life brings heartache. So here's this essential question. It's easy to say God was in control and that God had a plan when it was good. But was God still in control and did God still have a plan when it was bad? That's the essential question that we have to look at. What did God say? There's four little phrases in the NLT and in the NIV both, you can take your pick, whichever one you want to use, but he talks about their plans to prosper you. Plans not for disaster but and not for harm. Plans for hope. Plans for future. And you see, that's the difficult aspect when you're talking about planning, or not planning, but God's plans, or plans for the uh, looking ahead. It is so incredibly difficult to look ahead if you don't have hope. It's virtually impossible to look ahead. And if you don't see a future, if you don't see an end, if you don't see something out there, I hate to use the word to define the word, but if you don't see something out there there's hope, it's virtually impossible for you to move ahead with any sort of confidence. You just, you just fall into despair. You just say, what's the use? 
But God has a plan. And God's plan is good. It doesn't mean, you've heard Brother Lee say this, you've heard other pastors say this, other preachers, it does not mean that there's not going to be any bad in your life. It just means that God is in control no matter what. And in the midst of these trials, in the midst of any kind of sadness, we just need to focus on the fact that, the, the truth rather, that God has not abandoned me. He's still in control. He still has a plan for me. Let me go back to that little commentary that I referred to. Let me read another one of his phrases that I'm, I'm going to hang on to and just keep in my, my library of things to remember. He, the author says, In the midst of crises, the fundamental issue is God's dependability. Will he fulfill his promises? And can we trust him? That's what it boils down to. Now, if you're like me and, and you, you read the Bible frequently, you're hearing what I'm saying right now and your mind is flashing forward to the New Testament, to a verse that is so incredibly dear and so incredibly well known to each one of us, it almost doesn't bear repeating, but I need to repeat it. In the New Living Translation, Paul says it like this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And I frequently I'll look at the message because I, I like... I like to have that, that spin on it, knowing that uh, the message is what it is. It's not a word-for-word -word translation. But this one, listen how the, the writer of the message says it. We can be so sure that every detail in our lives of love for God is worked into something good. And that is awesome. Every detail. I've already, I've already made the step of saying, I love you, God. I made that years ago, decades ago. And so what... The message writer is saying is, Steve, you can be sure that in your love of God, your life of love of God, every detail, every detail is worked into something good. So when that next bad comes, I can fall back on this and say, God, you've said this before. I believed it then. I believe it now. Everything, every detail can be worked into something good. That is so important. So God has a plan. God's plan is good. And the last simple point is God's plan is personal. Now, I'm not going to reread verses 12 through 14. I think it's going to be on the screen. I believe, yeah, there it is. Um, and again, purposely emphasizing, bolding, capitalizing the word personal. Now, I'm going to give you about 20 seconds, actually, Three seconds. But look at, just let your eyes wander through that verse, those two verses again. How many times do you see the word you and the word I? You and I. There's a lot. There's a whole bunch of them. So here's what I take away from this. You, God is saying, Steve, you will call on me. Steve, I will listen to you. Steve, you'll seek me. Steve, you'll find me. Steve, you'll pray to me. And Steve, I will restore you. You, I, I, you, you, I. Folks, that's a personal God. That is not an absentee God. That is a God who is personal, who is close, who is by your side. And remember, Jeremiah was writing these words centuries 
before the arrival of Christ. And that is exactly what Christ showed and taught and lived and left as he died and was resurrected and ascended to heaven. That personality, God with me. Those three words have such power in times of hurt, in times of pain, in times of discouragement, in times of joy. God with me. God is in me. God is personal. And again, I had to read through these, and I'm, as I'm reading through it, I'm thinking, I've heard this before somewhere. Matthew 7, 7, and 8. Don't look at it. It's too far to find real quick. But that's the one where it says, ask and you'll receive. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. It's a personality thing. We are there. He is with us. So here's how I want to conclude our, our time together today. There's lots and lots of good resolutions. And, and I'll go back to what I said to start with. Resolutions are not bad. They're, they're fun to do as long as they're in God's idea. But what's the best resolution that you can make for 2020? What's the best resolution I can make for my life for 2020 in keeping it in line with praying and, and seeking God's will in my life? Well, Moses gave us a clue. He said in Deuteronomy 6, 5, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Okay? Pretty simple, isn't it? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. There was a time centuries, millennia later, when a man approached Jesus and said, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment that you can think of? And you know what Jesus said? You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. So folks, I'm telling you right now, if it was good enough for Moses and Jesus, it's good enough for me. So I want to tell you right now, I hereby resolve on this day in this church before each of you that my resolution for 2020 is that I, Steve Seabury, will love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, and with all my mind. And I'll let all the rest of it take care of itself. And that's my challenge to you today, too, is that you will make this your resolution for 2020. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we can stand before you and be in complete honesty, to be in complete openness, to say to you at times, I don't understand why this is happening. I don't understand what is going on in my life. I want to plan and look ahead to the future. And I just need to always be reminded, and I thank you for this reminder today, that you are totally in charge and in, in, in complete control of everything that comes our way and that you can make every detail of our lives into something good and that you are a personal, loving God who is with me at all times. And so thank you that we can make plans for the future in keeping with your will. And I pray that each one of us will turn this year into a year of focusing on loving you with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our mind. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Ushers, if you'll come forward.